0: CEOs, me included. We don't actually know what we're doing.
1: They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. Guys.
0: <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's
1: just the first note.
0: This is the capital step. Hey everybody! This is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack Podcast, where I talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation and startups. Today, I am speaking to longtime friend and uh, hired gun for you know hatchet man for hire, uh, ten times CEO. Um, bring in the cleaner kind of guy, Bill Horn. Bill, how are you doing? Great. <laughs> Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> Bill, I, I have to say like you, 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 age gracefully.
1: I mean, you well, look great. Um, you're like a well, fine wine. Yeah. I don't know about that, but you, you look the same. I think we first met, um, way back in Arizona over a breakfast at, yeah. at your favorite place.
0: At my favorite place. And, you know, I'm going to throw you around a little bit, Bill, because, you know, you're going off of the script you gave me, which by far is like a testament. Like I was like I was I don't know if I should have been insulted by the script (laughs) like that, like how or how or just envious of how much of a control freak you are. You literally gave me the questions to ask you.
1: Like, I was just giving you food for thought because you said hey I said would well, an outline help because you know I have this kind of interesting past, you said sure and this, this isn't okay. an outline,
0: Bill. Like we should have just had two AIs talk to each other <laughs> and, and fed the model with this.
1: You you now you know how I roll. I'm somewhat of that detailed guy. Yeah, this is
0: a, i mean, when we talk about planning, you really take that seriously. <laughs>
1: It's in my DNA.
0: It's in your DNA. So yes, let's let's follow your let's follow your talk track. We did meet over breakfast when you were coming to do some due diligence for my brother's firm, Soper's Capital, um, uh, where you've been a career CEO for their portfolio companies. Um, so tell me a little bit, kind of about about that, and you know how you became a. Um, essentially uh, an, an adult in a room for early stage companies.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So I um, started working with Andy Paul uh, back in 2004 and we worked um, together for a long time, really through last year. And it, it was a great ride. But my background, when I think when I go way back, even the first territory I got in sales for IBM, it was a fix-it job. And when I look at my entire career, I've just Been kind of a fix it guy the entire time. And um, eventually that morphed into larger opportunities, general managers, COOs, presidents, and then uh, been a CEO of some way, shape, or form um, since uh, around the ripe old age of 40. So been at it a while and I really enjoy it. 10 times, Bill, on your LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, And uh, I haven't. uh, There's a new one, too. So now it's 11. And uh, this one is an entirely different industry, which I enjoy. Um, I enjoy a new challenge, a new industry, get to know new people and uh, not a rinse and repeat job most of the time. And so
0: you generally come in after, I would say, a founder whiffs it a couple of times um, because you generally stay in the earlier stage. Um, you know, at least your, your experience lent itself to that and you become a fixer. So, you know, I don't know if you, that was something that you chose or like you just became the fixer guy, but how do you, how do you think about that? Like, you know, you kind of coming in and working with an early stage company, fragile employees, you know, upset, bored, usually the, the tone isn't great when mm. you come in. I mean, I don't think, think that you're brought in because things are going well, um, right. So, how do you reconcile that with you know being able to be an operator and and getting the the company on track
1: yeah, speaking of andy so he he's never given me one that's going up and to the right uh, <laughs> everything is going the other direction, and he jokes um he's joked for years now that nobody's coming to my funeral uh because <laughs> when I show up typically. People are like, oh, who's this guy? Um, So they do an immediate Google search um, trying to figure out my background. But where, where I come in is I can't do what the founder does. I'm not a startup guy. Um, and startups just make me nervous. I, I don't know why, but I'm i am I'm not the guy. I like the analogy of a builder. So, you know, a builder can get the sticks up and everything's square and looks pretty good and all that kind of stuff, but it has to get to a point where you make those sticks into a home. And I'd like to liken what I do to saying, okay, this is a great idea. It has good bones. It's fallen off the rails some for a variety of reasons. And the reasons are never quite the same. And then our job is to figure out how to get that investment and get the return back for the investors and, and the people who hold equity in the company. So um, it's it's been something that um, I don't think I originally thought you know I'd be a turnaround guy my entire life, but it's worked into that. And it, it's very enjoyable. And you you have to be comfortable that you're not winning a popularity contest, uh, that you're really trying to do the right thing for the company, uh, the employees, uh, the shareholders, and ultimately the clients. And so, I mean, how much value destruction do you see
0: when a founder leaves a company um, from like a culture perspective, from an industry knowledge perspective?
1: Yeah. Um, I'd say... Little, not 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 a whole lot. And the reason most of the time is the founder has burned so many bridges along the way that the staff, uh, be it the executive leadership team uh, or key members of the staff, they're just done. And they realize they have a good company, but the CEO, in effect, has outkicked his or her coverage. Mm-hmm. So the hardest person to bring along in the whole thing is the CEO. So the most Mm -hmm. difficult situation I'm faced with is when I have to coexist with that person for a period of time.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: that's difficult for them. Um, I liken it to changing the tires on a car while you're going 60 miles an hour. I mean, it's difficult. So there's a lot of ego involved. You have to get the ego out of it. Uh, And you have to build some trust. And I'm not the first guy, when you're put into that situation, that they're really going to trust. They, they think I'm just a shill for the investors. And it's the one thing that I've enjoyed is the independence of thought to get back to everyone on the State of the Union. And I have a way in which I do that. Um, but it, it ends up to be kind of what's the truth of what's going on here. The question that I was asked frequently by Andy was, you know, is there a business here? So my first job was to determine whether or not there's a business there. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so when you get brought
0: in, you know, around 11, 10, 11 times, I'm sure there's some commonalities you see of what the founder has done wrong um, from an operational perspective. Mm -hmm. And so what is that common thread that you see things happen?
1: I, I think the primary one is they've lost control of their financials. So whether that be the income statement or the balance sheet, typically they've blown through A lot of the capital uh, that was supposed to be used to launch the company into a new space. Now, I will say there are tons of wins on on the other side. So I'm only in the situations that need fixing. But they've blown through capital, and they have no plan. So the the interesting thing I've stepped into every time is 100% of the companies do not have a plan. 100 percent of them when you sit down with the founder and you say you know hey so what are we trying to get done here they'll come up with some grand ideas or things that they're doing recently and then i'll say but do you do you have a plan is there something that aligns the company and your shareholders and everybody else around and they stumble on that and the answer to that is no um a hundred percent of the companies that we've also looked at to potentially invest in also do not have a plan. Now, the, the wheelhouse for this are companies between probably five and 50 million of sales, maybe even uh, less than that. But it's amazing to me how people try to be successful without a plan. you got to have a plan. And there's all sorts of the old stuff, you know, what you could say if you don't have a plan, but you got to have a plan. And, and the reason I see failure is because there's a lack of alignment on where to go. And the, the investors are throwing their arms up. The team's throwing their arms up. And I think once you get the CEO off to the side and they really talk to you, you know, over a beer or, you know, a cup of coffee or whatever it is, they feel it. And once they feel like they can open up, it's a whole new world for them. And they realize, you know, we're there to help. Not there to destroy what they've built. It's their baby, um, and I, I'm very respectful of folks who can start a business. I, I I admire that greatly.
0: So when you say start a plan, I mean generally speaking. I mean Sopris is a great shop, and so you know they they there is a budget that gets made um, mm-hmm. that they that they send to. I, I guess what what what's the level of granularity that an early stage company needs to have with the plan? Like what would what would be a company that does have a plan look like? Um, mm-hmm. Like how is it codified? You know what level of detail are we talking? Like OKRs? Are you know how do you think about that? Because as you said, I mean people you know, can have ideas and strategies. They obviously presented something to the board, right? right. Um, so how do you kind of go from like lip service to an actual operational plan?
1: Sure. Um, so I believe <laughs> you, you said in the beginning, so it's a pretty detailed plan. And the first time you go through it, it's an arduous exercise and it mm-hmm. takes time. Uh, but my theory, um, I've read the books, OKRs and all that kind of good stuff where I blanch on some of the reading I've done. And and I enjoy those books immensely because I, I try to do that to improve my craft Um, I've even read some books about Navy SEAL training and and how they go about setting objectives for their missions, which is pretty cool and not that far off from business. But all that being said, the plan has to address what's vital. So we always talk about the vital few. Um, We can lose track of that uh, over time. But the plan has to be pretty detailed. So you're going to have I start out with a framework that uh, addresses the strengths of the company, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. And from there, we go through an objective building exercise. We do some other things in between. But we end up building um, a very specific, uh, the old smart things: specific, measurable, actionable, reasonable, time-based objective for each one of the majors we're trying to solve. And as a company, my theory has been we can uh, have no more than seven Uh, majors that we're trying to address at any point in time. Uh, I read a long time ago, I think most people are pretty bad at doing anything more than than seven at a time, and seven's a lot. Uh, So you got to pick what's important, and then you have to execute like crazy against that and hold everybody accountable. And that's the other thing in planning that most early-stage CEOs Um, And their team, many times, they just don't like the idea of accountability that comes with the planning exercise. But once they drink the Kool-Aid, if you will, they're believers for a long time, which is Mm -hmm. great.
0: And then what about time time framing, um, early stage companies, a lot can change quarter to quarter, mm-hmm. um, objectives. I mean, do you believe in working in 90 day sprints, you know, within these, you know, seven, the magnificent seven, you know, challenges to, yeah. to, to, to correct. Um, how mm-hmm. do you think about, you know, check-ins, et cetera?
1: I think what's, uh, worked effectively is a six month planning horizon. Um, You don't want to get yourself in a position where you're changing so often you don't give the strategy a chance to work. So you try to take all the variables you can into mind when you're coming up with the objective, but you try to stay the course a little bit instead of course correcting uh, too often. So. Depending on the severity of it, the objective might have a 30-day window or a 60, 90, whatever that is. But it's in, within a six-month context because the, the starts and stops kill small companies. Totally, You got to kind of stick with it play it out. And I do something called Op 1, Op 2. I used to have a one-year horizon. So with a more mature company, it's a little more stayed, doesn't have quite the same problems, we'll come up with kind of a one-year plan. But we course correct at six months. So I call the first six months Op 1, the second six months Op 2. And then you report back to your board uh, or the folks who are your investors, if you don't have a board, about here's what we learned. And this one didn't quite work out like we thought it would, but we thought this might work better. So this is the new plan. And when you get that kind of alignment amongst everybody, and, you know, investors like you, you ask great questions. The things we were involved in, you ask very good questions. So as a CEO, I, I want people asking me the hardest and the best questions they've got, because that's only going to make all of us better. Where guys like you get frustrated, you don't like surprises. Mm-hmm. And I, as a CEO, don't like them either. Um, so, I think the time frame, you know, is malleable to an extent, but we're not chasing squirrels.
0: I find that um, managing the board must be very difficult, considering the board has put you in these places because it's frustrating. Right, you go. It's mm-hmm. emotionally, you know, emotionally hurts when you put a bunch of capital, and you feel like you've been bamboozled. Right, um, mm-hmm. right. It might, it might be nefarious. It might just be what they, you know, founder. I, I guess they call it promoting or or line, whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> you <know? Yeah. laughs> I guess is how do you reconcile, like, being able to bring the board into a position where they're not butthurt, right about. Some some sunk cost that's already in the company, and, and getting mm. them to emotionally accept that and bringing them to like an, like the next level.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think that's very difficult for investors. Uh, so they've already put money in the company; they're viewing it as kind of sunk. But God, I need to get that back. I mean, it's it's a lot of money, and mm-hmm. I like to win. I like to get the W in the column. So their fatigue sometimes influences how much capital they'll put behind a new strategy. Mm -hmm. And as an operator, that can be frustrating because you say, I see potential. And if we fix this, this, and this, then we're probably going to realize some of what you might have seen before, but it's going to be different. So it's difficult in the beginning to get um, alignment across everybody. So one of the things I try to do is I go back to the lead investor or members of the board, and I have a little exercise to go through where they have to articulate why they invested in the company, where they see the potential is, and a host of other little questions. It's it's mm-hmm. like a one-pager. And then we have a discussion about that. And then I try to see if I can create some alignment in the planning process through what the investor's objectives are. And sometimes we're pretty close. Sometimes we're a little bit off. Uh, and then the key down the road is you, you can get you can get everybody feeling pretty good in the beginning. Oh, great. We got a plan. I see it. I hear it. It's consistent in the board meetings because that's that's the fundamental basis upon which we report to the board on a quarterly basis. And then if it's taking longer than the investors think it should take to get it going in the right direction... That's when they seize up a little bit on the capital, which mm-hmm. makes it difficult on the operators. Um, so I've gotten the message plenty of times that um, okay, you know, business is doing a lot better. Let's just fund growth out of free cash flow. Mm-hmm. So you got to have a lot of ducks in, in 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 a row to do that. But it depends. You know, investors like the shiny new object. They always don't like the the you know the business that is struggling mm-hmm. trying to find his place. Well, especially in the venture market, right? I mean, yes. it's, it's, it's
0: you spend so much time working on the stuff that doesn't work. Um, I find exactly. that to be super, super fascinating, uh, having to reset the board at the same time. And you were brought in with the board. How do you reconcile I love the analogy you used the other day, human calculators, right? And (laughs) and to founder empathy, or I would say operator empathy, because, you know, the founder might be out of the picture by now, but operator empathy Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, sometimes it just takes longer and it it doesn't work the way that it comes out to. How do you reconcile that?
1: Yeah. um, So I've been in a few situations where, everyone's just been frustrated and we've been operating off of the plan um, as everybody agreed to, but it just wasn't going as anticipated. And in those cases, my observation has been universally um, the same. So I have to go back to them and say, I can fix a lot of things, but I can't fix a market. Mm -hmm. And if you're asking me to fix a market, then uh that that's that's a whole different thing and you may just you may need to get out of this because the market may not be fixable. We we were in one of those and actually I went to Andy and I said this market is not fixable. Hence the company will never realize the potential that you saw you know three or four years ago in it. Um and the data was overwhelming he agreed and, and we exited. Uh, but it's It it's a little bit of a um, you gotta you gotta stick to the facts. I, I think that's it. You you stay out of the emotions because investors can get emotional too, right? It's it's not. I'm not putting up the big numbers of cash. They are, and they like to win. So stick to the facts. I try to stay brutally honest. I never spin information. So if it's bad, it's bad. If it's good, it's good. And. We've always believed uh, with my teams that good news spreads fast, bad news spreads faster. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I also learned that bad news gets stale fast. You know, leading with, with bad
1: news generally is, is the, better, the better of the two. Yes. Yeah. It, it's harder to do. But human nature, most of the time when we're talking to people, we don't want to talk about the bad stuff first. We, we save that one big question for the end of our conversation most of the time. And I found if you save that big question and put it in the front of the conversation, you have a more productive conversation that things can move along a lot faster. So what are you working on now, Bill? So I'm working on a, uh, a fluid filtration company, Hydraulic Fluid. Um, and I was brought in by a, a lender. And some things were kind of going sideways uh, with the former owners of the business. Everything ended up in a in a good spot, and uh, the lender, uh, which is not necessarily their charter, they can do it, but they ended up uh, owning the business and asked me in to step step in as CEO and um, figure out where to take the company. So been learning a new industry and spending some time in Lincolnton, North Carolina, and uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Canada, which is a very cold place at the moment.
0: And you were doing that um, because you started
1: uh, a, a coaching practice, correct? Is so a you know, coaching yes. practice? Yep. Yeah, I started uh, um, kind of my own coaching uh, business, uh, and I call it ADA Keys. Um, it, it's the result Of my experience of stepping into companies that don't have a plan. And I said, one of the things I think I do the best, so that's a self-serving commercial, apologize for that, but is helping smaller companies build a plan that you can execute. Not something that you read in a textbook and all that kind of stuff. It is a real world, how do we apply this methodology to this business to get it on a path where everybody can be successful. Got it. And so would you, cons- would you consider that a hard skill or a soft skill?
0: A little of both. So, you need the soft skill to be able to, you know, communicate the, that that opportunity and, and the CEO needs to be able to, hence, use their soft skills to, to take that plan and execute it. But the hard skill is what you're offering.
1: Correct. Correct. And it's, you know, the other part about it is, um, you know, we've all had, good mentors along the way. Um, I listened to one of your podcasts, uh, Jim Armstrong. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds like he was, you know, a mentor uh, despite maybe some Bill Campbell ask uh, type rants on you. (laughs) Uh, But we've all had hes an asshole, but he's my asshole. (laughs) (laughs) We've all had a good mentor and you probably had maybe more than one. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing I find today is Younger CEOs, guys, you know, guys or gals who don't have years of experience in the chair, they need somebody they can talk to, and it's not always the investor, it's not always another operator. It's like this is what's running through my head, you know, how how would you think about this? And really, it's listening to these folks because they're bright people, Um, they just have never run a company, so the combination of having somebody you can talk to along with a planning methodology that fundamentally I run it for them and they own the plan, not me. And then I can do some things to help them. Like I had one company who said, love for you to come in quarterly and just kind of audit what we're doing mm-hmm. and see see if we're still doing what we said we would do because I really don't want to keep up with all that. And the other company say, could you could you check in with my people like every couple of weeks and just see how it's going? And I said, sure, you know, I can do that. So sometimes they don't want to be in the controversy because they're that founder personality and they want to love on everybody. And I think you had another uh, podcast where you were speaking with um, the chief revenue officer of um, John Hunter. And he was talking about getting the right people in the wrong right places for Kind of long-term thinking, but you take all that experience and you try to give it back and put it in a framework that makes sense for that company. and um, another a really talented CEO, um, they sold for a billion dollars, and he said the one thing he wished he had done differently is that he had had somebody to talk to along the ride like mm-hmm. a coach um, or a mentor, and there's something to it. So these little gray hairs are lack up on my head, sorry. Um, they, you know, they give you experience. And when I was, what was I, 30 something, I thought I was ready to be a CEO and little did I know I really wasn't ready. And there was this job I thought I was perfect for it. And they explained to me why I didn't get it. And it was only until years later when I got my first CEO gig at age 40 that I realized I wasn't ready. So if I can help people do better, think better, put them into a network, you know, talking to you, talking to any number of people to help them, that's a good thing. And everybody, you know, that's part of one of the goals of ADA Keys is to mentor folks along and give them a framework to do it.
0: So aside from strategic planning, and I would say, like, I would asterisk that and say, like, real, deep, methodical, intentional strategic planning. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other barriers to execution for CEOs that you
1: see in the early stage? Sure. Um, it's their team. Mm. And uh, so many times, and and I have been guilty of this, you know, nobody's perfect, but they get... Uh, quote unquote, married to somebody mm. who might have become a really close friend or a confidant or whatever. And they don't take action to take that person out to get a person with better skills in. Sacred um, cow. Yeah. And everybody knows who that person is in the business. Everybody may like that person. Um, that was true in my situation. And I I, I took too long. And Um, You know, I kept thinking, yeah, 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 this is, you know, this is going to turn for this guy and he's a great guy. Everybody loved him, but it came down to one day, you know, hey, he wasn't cutting the mustard. So building a team and getting that team around you is really important. I think the other thing that I stress to uh, not only boards, but to founders is pay up for some good talent because they'll get things done so much faster or uh, smarter than somebody that somebody's, Oh no, we got, we got to fit this person in a $150,000 bucket. Well, that that's not the right thing for this company at this time. You need the two hundo person who has all the contacts experience and is going to get it done. So I think number one is surrounding yourself with the right people. Yeah. Um,
0: I totally. And there's a whole other podcast we can probably do on hiring and, you know, the, the intricacies of that, I don't think anybody is super great at, um, at that without a lot of intentional practice, Um, Yes, you know, because people get duped and, you know, they get sold and they don't know that someone's bad for nine
1: months and there could be a lot of value destruction for a company. It's true. And, um, yeah, when you're new, you get a lot of kitchen passes, but, you, you waste time. So I, I agree with you. Um, hiring is, it's difficult. And I think it's more difficult today than it used to be, because people have different ideas of when and where they need to be. Sorry about the phone. I'm going to put that on quiet. There we go.
0: Is, um so you really don't have an opportunity to mess up hires. And I feel like that you know, founders get this big lump of money and they really spend uh, not enough time interviewing and qualifying people because you can't mess up these hires. You only have two years of runway. And so you, you're taking off you know, one quarter, two quarter, three quarter, four quarter of no execution and minus cash burn. You
1: can't hire the good person once you whiff it two or three times. True. It's very true. Let alone uh, experience with search firms can be hit or miss. Mm -hmm. I've had some really good ones and I've had some really bad ones and folks who interviewed well, or their pedigree might've been pretty good. Um, you get them in the chair, uh, and they can be an Epic fail. So not, not only have you wasted time in that, you've also wasted money because these Mm -hmm. guys charge a lot of money for that. Bill, where can founders find you? Um, so they can find me. So I've got a little website, Uh, that somebody can go to uh, called com, And uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So um, you can catch me that way. So those would be the two best ways. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: Everybody, that is Bill Horn, career CEO, uh, company builder, founder, mentor, founder, coach, founder, whisperer, Uh, Thank you so much, Bill, for coming in and talking to us. We drop an episode every Tuesday, guys. Please like, subscribe, share with a friend, and we will see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Dave. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing.